Hey, good morning, church. Welcome. Great to be together this morning on a beautiful day. Thanks for bringing the church into these walls. Hey, uh, this morning we are finishing up our series on family and all things related. So uh, you can turn in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 4. We've been there, oh, the last handful of weeks, and we're going to finish out and read all all the way through to the end of the book of Ruth. And we're going to talk this morning about, uh, about your family. All right, so your family is the topic this morning, and I want us to read uh, Ruth chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 17, All right, kind of moving towards the conclusion uh, to the end of the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 4, verse 17, um, here we are, remember uh, Ruth and Boaz have a son named Obed, and in this verse, the context here is um, that the, the women of the village are gathered around Naomi, the, uh, the grandmother of this new child, and they're just celebrating her and all the things that God has done. And uh, here it is, Ruth 4:17 says this, and the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, this is the child of Boaz and Ruth. The, it's interesting, typically we like to name our own kids, don't we? I don't know, the, the women of the village are taking it upon themselves to throw a name on the child. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David. Just in case you're unclear on which David, that would be King David. So we're talking about family. And think about, like, this is quite a family that we've got going on here. Right, we've heard the story of Ruth and Boaz in the incredible kindness that they've shown to one another and that God has shown to them. Incredible people. And they have a son, and their son has a son, and their son has a son, and the, he becomes King David. Like, you think about a family that you would be excited to be a part of. This is a family that you would be proud if you could just have whatever their last name is. Speaking of last names, here's what I want us to do this morning. I'm going to count to three. Uh, when I, at the conclusion of three, I want you to just say your last name out loud. Just say it. If you're an extrovert, you can shout it. If you're an introvert, you can mumble it. If you're somewhere in between, just, just say it in a normal speaking voice. But one, two, three, I want you to say your last name. One, two, three, Kunkler. All right, good range. Got some whispers, got some shouts. That's what I expected. That's good. Now, my guess is that when you throw your last name out into the ether for all of us to hear when the name your name comes off of your lips um, it, it it sparks something in your brain and in your heart you, you we feel a certain way about our family that we're a part of and it depends on our family some of us are uh, have families that we're super proud of and excited about and we hold our chins high and some of us when we say our family name maybe some of you didn't say your family name out loud out loud because there's some shame there attached to the family that you are a part of and, and you're not proud so you don't you don't want to publicly let maybe everybody know what your last name is but we feel a certain way regarding our name because it corresponds to our family and we know our family right if you don't believe me that um, right we feel a certain way about our family let's do a little fun exercise this morning and let's say that whatever last name you shouted out let's say that you, you weren't shouting out that last name this morning because we're gonna change your family of origin so we're gonna switch you and give you a different last name and let's say hypothetically that your last name this morning take yours out and put in the last name of King 
specifically like the family of Dr. King, Martin Luther King Jr. And assume that you were a part of that family and you carry that name, right? I, the, the little bit that I know of the King family, like the words that come to mind based on what I know of the King family, what comes to my mind is that they're a passionate family, that they are pioneering Uh, Or the word that we used last week, they are causal. They don't just respond to things, they proactively create things that are good. The King family, a word that comes to my mind is strong. So if you were to say, shout out this morning, my last name is King, right? You would probably feel a sense of pride because of all of those things. That would be true of your family and you would be a part of that family or let's switch the last name let's say your last name was kennedy of as of the kennedys let's say you were in the family line of the kennedy family when i think of the kennedys words that come to my mind are distinguished and accomplished and talented right if you were in that family and if that was your last name when you shout that out to the world you might feel a certain way about yourself because you're a part of that particular family. If you're still not following with me, let's just switch your last name one more time, right? One, two, three, and you shout out your last name and your last name now. Let's let's switch it. It's Hitler. Anybody shouting that one out? If it is your last name, right? Because when when I think of the Hitler family, I think of anger and violence and scheming. Here's the point. Every family has a culture that is attached to it. And when I say like family culture, what I mean is like a vibe, like the feel of a family, the ethos that that particular family exudes. So when we talk of our family, some of us are proud, others of us are ashamed because we know our family. So I just want to read this again, Ruth chapter 4, verse 17. Think about where we've been in the book of Ruth. Think about this family, what we know so far, and now what we know about what's to come in just a couple generations from now in this family. What do you think if you were a part of this family, right? And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, the son has been born to Naomi, particularly Ruth and Boaz's son. And they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse. We all know that name. And Jesse was the father of David, dot, dot, dot. Like we, this is a family that you would be proud to bear that name because you know their story, right? What an honor. Words that come to mind regarding this family, right? Um, we would say that this, this family is a committed family. That they, like the verb that we would use is they cling to one another. As Ruth clung to Naomi, this is a family that clings to one another. Another word that would come to mind is this family is causal for kindness, This family just, they don't just respond to circumstances that are being thrown at them, right? They do, they handle them well, but beyond that, even in very deep, dark, difficult circumstances, they are causal, they are like creating good, even in the midst of the bad, like that's this family. Another word that comes to mind regarding the Boaz and Ruth family, we'll we'll say wise, 
right? Because the Hebrew scriptures, we talked about this on the, right, the aftermath of Proverbs and Proverbs 31, the very next chapter is the book of, right, the very next book is Ruth, meaning that you want to know what wisdom looks like, you want to know what the Proverbs 31 wise woman looks like, here she is. Her name's Ruth. Let's do a little study in what the wise woman looks like. This is a wise family, right? And Boaz, as the husband of Ruth, like the Proverbs 31 woman, Boaz is the kind of guy who would be hanging around the city gate among the elders because he is a distinguished, wise, good man, right? What else comes to mind when we think about this family from the book of Ruth? We think of a family that perseveres through storms, Right? They don't tap out. They don't give up, throw their hands up and say, it's too hard. I quit. No, that's not what they do. They just keep plugging away and they just keep moving and nothing can stop them. That's quite a family. Now I want you to imagine just for a second. Imagine the formative power that being in this family would have on you if you were a part of this family, right? Let's, let's put it this way, because we know that future King David is a part of this family. Let's, let's put it like this. Imagine that David is a young shepherd boy, right? And we know stories of David as a young shepherd boy. And David comes from out on the range tending the sheep, and he comes back with his brothers, and it's bedtime. And mom and dad say, little David, it's time to get yourself cleaned up. Brush your teeth, go to the bathroom, put your diaper on, your big boy pants, and we're going to get you in bed, okay? And little David's an obedient little guy, and he gets in bed. And now we know, right, parents, you know what time it is now. It's story time. It's bedtime, it's story time, right? And mom and dad walk in, it's story time. There's no TV, there's no Netflix. Like story time is entertainment time and it's formation time. It's like, it's a central good time for the family. And so they say, little David, what story would you like to hear tonight? And David says, mom, dad, can you, can you tell me the story of great-grandma and great-grandpa again? Well, who's, who's David's great-grandma and great-grandpa? Well, we learn here in verse 17, it's Ruth and Boaz. And, and David's mom and dad say, David, again? You want to hear that story again? Like that's, you hear that story all the time. I want to hear it again. Tell me the story of great grandma and great grandpa. And then mom and dad, right, once again, go through what we have just been through in the book of Ruth, telling this story to David, who is a part of this family. Imagine the formative power that hearing stories of your family the book of Ruth would have on you. Let me put it this way. When, when my kids were young, one of the stories, one of my go-to stories was the three little pigs. Anybody know the three little pigs? All of us know it because we've, we've all been told it. And I would tell the story of the three little pigs with great vigor and enthusiasm. I would have different voices and I, I would get pretty amped up. I didn't need to read the story. I had it memorized and my kids loved that story. And it was a great formative story for my kids. And, and the point is, right, don't be like the first little pig that just wanted to sing and dance and play all day and just made his house out of straw. Don't be like that pig. Don't even be like the second little pig who also just wanted to sing and play all day. He made his house out of sticks. He didn't plan. He wasn't diligent. He wasn't a wise worker. Be like the third little pig who built his house out of bricks, right? Great story for all kids. Here's my point, though. When my kids hear the story of the three little pigs, there are several degrees of separation between the three little pigs and them. 
they can still be formed by it. They can learn some lessons from it. But there's a difference between them as human beings and pigs. There's a difference between the three little pigs and their lives, right? There isn't, a, there isn't an intimate connection between them and the three little pigs. But we can still be formed by the story. But the difference now is that David, little shepherd boy David, when he hears the story of the book of Ruth, there's very little degrees of separation. Because think about this. Um, Boaz was probably a little bit of an older man. Boaz is probably dead at this point. But I'm wondering, as if David is a young shepherd boy, his great-grandmother Ruth is still alive. She's not ancient history. She's the one that you just celebrated the Passover with. She's the one that you just went to the festival in Jerusalem with. She's not distant past. There's very few degrees of separation between David and this story of his family because he sees them. Maybe maybe Boaz was on the scene, right? But we've got Obed, Obed, who is the father of Jesse, who is the father of David. Imagine the formative power of hearing these stories, and you know that this is your family. This is who we are. This is how we act. This is what we do in our family. And then little David gets raised in the formative power of being in this family. He's not a king. He's not a Kennedy. He's not a Hitler. He is a whatever the last name of Ruth and Boaz is. I don't think they had him. But that's who David is. And he knows that. And it's ingrained in him from a young age. The power of a family to form the next generations. To which we say... Congratulations, David. Good for you for having such an incredible family that you got to be a part of. And then maybe for some of us, the very next thing is like maybe anger or resentment or shame that, well, that wasn't my story. That's not my family. That's not where I came from, right? I just got the three little pigs as a kid because we didn't have any family stories worth sharing that were formative and powerful to create a good and a flourishing culture, right? Good for you, David. Glad you had it. At least somebody in the world's got a good family. Can we just for a second reframe our family identity from what we believe it to be because of what we've been told regarding it to what our Father, which art in heaven, would say to us regarding our family. Can we make a mental shift for a second? Can we do that? I want to take you to Galatians uh, chapter 3. Galatians 3, uh, 29. You don't have to turn there, but you are welcome to. The Apostle Paul is speaking to uh, the church in the region of Galatia. He's breaking down for them what it means now that you have received Jesus, that you are in the Messiah, you are in the King, right? And he's just breaking out what that means. And here's one of the things that he says in Galatians 3, 29. He says this, and if you are Christ's, or, and if you are the anointed one, which would have connotations of King, meaning if you are in King Jesus, then, right? Don't you love if-then statements, right? If that's true, if you are in King Jesus, 
And all you have to do is to believe, right? No secret knock. There's no, like, Morse code that you got to learn. It's just, do you believe that what he did on the cross is for you? Yes? Yes? All right. Then you are in King Jesus. You've received the gift. And if you are Christ's, then you are... It's a state of being right there. It's a, it's a declaration. Here's who you are. Then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. Think about this in the context of family. <clears throat> if you are Abraham's offspring, would that not put you in the family of Abraham? which would then put you in the family of Ruth and Boaz, David. But it's not, it's not just that you're the offspring of Abraham, but then he goes further and says you are heirs according to the promise. An heir is someone who receives all the rights and privileges and benefits that come from being in a certain family. So one, two, three, last name, shout it out. What Paul is saying is, Whatever Abraham's last name is, we don't know. Let's assume we got it. One, two, three. That's what we say. That's whose family we are. We are in Abraham's faith family. We are in God's, the father, his earthly family. That's actually our true last name, family history, family culture, identity. Similarly, in Romans chapter 11, verse 17, Paul will use a different set of language. He'll liken it to a tree, and he'll say that right, if, if you are in Jesus, you have been grafted in to the tree or to the family, to the earthly people of God our Father. You have uh, similar words that Paul would use in Romans, which is the same idea, but different description, is we've been adopted into what? Well, you're adopted into a family. So, what does that mean? Well, it means when we read the book of Ruth, and when we look at where the family of Ruth and Boaz goes, from Obed to Jesse to David, wow, what a legacy. When we think about this family, what we shouldn't say is that family and them, but we should say instead of that, It's my family, and that is us. That is who we are. And there's some formative power there. There's very few degrees of separation between, yeah, there is, there are degrees of separation between me and that family, but very little degrees of separation between me and my family. I've been grafted in. I've been adopted in. I I am in the family that is my and your inheritance. It's encouraging news, is it not? But now as we finish out the remaining verses in the book of Ruth, there's something else about our family that we need to know. Something that the writers here are very intent to tell us. So we've looked forward, right, to the child Obed and then to Jesse and to David. We've looked into the future of where this family goes. In order to understand something else about our family, now the writer of the book of Ruth wants us to look back into where our family has come from and maybe learn some things from there. 
So let's go, let's, now let's continue in verse 18. Now we're going to take a look back on the previous generations of our family that would lead up to Boaz and Ruth and Obed and on. Verse 18, as the book of Ruth closes out. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz. There, finally a familiar name. Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse. This is now looking familiar. And Jesse fathered David. Now when I read this genealogy, it doesn't mean much to us. Nothing's really jumping off of the page because we don't have a ton of information about the previous generations that came before Boaz and Ruth. Until we read verse 12 of Ruth chapter 4, then things maybe start to take on some context and, and they'll start to make sense for us. Go back up to verse 12. In verse 12, right now, it's the city elders and the people of the town that are pronouncing blessings over Ruth and Boaz and their son and Naomi. And here's what they say. Some very important information for us regarding the preceding generations of this family that that we are a part of. Verse 12, they say this. To Ruth and Boaz. And may your house be like the house of Perez. Okay, we, we know Perez, right? Because Perez was the first person we read about in Verse 18, regarding their lineage. And may your house uh, be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. And now we've got some context on the generations of our family that have come before. Here's what we learned. That Judah and Tamar are also in our history. We know Ruth and Boaz are going to David, but they came from Judah and Tamar. Now, um, Genesis chapter 38 is where we learn about Judah and Tamar. And what we learn about Judah and Tamar in Genesis 38, let's just say this, that there's some family drama there that we don't typically share at our next family reunion. Um, We've spoken very highly of our family up to this point. Genesis 38 gives us a backdrop into our family that, ah, shoot. Ah, it's not the kind of stuff we're proud of. Not the kind of things we're excited to have come out. I'll give you the cliff notes. It's actually worse than this, but I don't have time to explain all of Genesis 38. Judah and Tamar are, right, the patriarchs of this family. Judah is the man of the family, the tribe of Judah. That's where they came from, from Judah. Um, Judah knows Tamar. You have to read the story, but essentially it's this. Uh, Judah thinks Tamar, the woman, is a prostitute. Right? Uh Uh-oh. See where this one's going? And then Judah propositions Tamar, says, hey, Tamar, let's go hang out. They go hang out. And then, from that hanging out, it seems as if Perez was born. 
And then Perez fathered Hezron, and Hezron fathered Ram, and Ram fathered Amminadab, Amminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Oeb, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Not the story that we're going to scrapbook and put up on the wall so that people can see it and ask more questions about our family history, because it's pretty ugly. But yet it's here, right? The book of Ruth is a beautiful, beautiful story. And yet the people who are in the family of Ruth and Boaz, who are gathering around them to celebrate them and what God is doing, pronounce Judah and Tamar, their names out loud. Why would you do that? Don't ruin the mood. Things are going swimmingly well. The family's had difficulty. God's kindness has met them. They have triumphed victoriously. Why stir up Judah and Tamar in this blessing that you're pronouncing over our family? Well, maybe here's why. Because there's a need to recognize that our family, as good as the book of Ruth is, and what a, boy, what an incredible part of our family history. We need to remember that our family needs God's kindness, desperately and deeply. Because it's not as if we are always and only good. Not everything we do is right on, nailed it. Rocked that one again. Hey, look at me, God. I'm killing it down here. Not everything we do is along those lines, is it not? But remember, every family has a feel, a vibe, a culture about it. And here's what I think is going on here, and I think this is so good. Judah and Tamar, yeah, that story. It's a reminder for us that our family, even as broken as we are, Remember that we are the ones that God clings to. It's not just us clinging to one another. No, our Father who art in heaven, he clings to us all the time. Even through Judah and Tamar, Genesis 38. Yeah, kind of like especially needy then, right? Those are the, like, he clings to our family. He shows us kindness, He is merciful to us. He is causal for the sake of our blessing and our covering. That is so true of our family, is it not? And is not our family so needy of God to treat us that way? We've already talked about little David the shepherd boy at story time hearing the stories of triumph of his family history, Boaz and Ruth, and the incredible adversity that they overcame and the kindness that they showed one another and God showed them. But let's fast forward in David's life a little bit further. And imagine King David in a different scene of life, fresh off of his own indiscretion with the woman Bathsheba. Oh, Yeah, that's in our family history too. And then immediately after David's indiscretion with Bathsheba, it's not as if that was a one and done and he's out. 
moving on. No, after, after his affair with her, then he, he murders her husband. <sighs> yeah, we don't scrapbook that on the wall, do we? Family reunion, everybody up and share a family story. Hey, remember that time David and Bathsheba and he murdered her husband? Yeah, let's go get some cake and pie. Let's go set off fireworks. Like we, ah, rough store, rough family history here. It's difficult, hard to handle. David, failed and fallen, 100%. David, the opposite of clinging for the sake of good. David, the opposite of being causal for kindness. David was causal in the Bathsheba story, but he was causal for some deep, dark nastiness. David, the opposite of wisdom, actually walking in deep foolishness. David, the opposite of persevering through difficulty and in and for the sake of good. But David just taps out and says, I don't care about that anymore. I'm just going to do this, whatever. How does David handle that? So imagine David fresh off of this indiscretion. Could use more powerful words than that, but you know what I mean. And David is feeling a certain way about himself, and it's bedtime. And David gets all ready for bed, and David's got some attendance. And remember, there's no Netflix, and there's no, there's no entertainment, there's no ways to check out. And so David's got some attendants that probably tell him stories. We know that ancient kings did that. It's in the scriptures. And so one of David's attendants comes in and says, Hey, David, uh, would you like me to tell you a story? Would you like me to tell you the story of Ruth and Boaz, great-grandma and great-grandpa? Would you like to hear those stories tonight? And David says, No, not tonight. I... I, can't, I don't think I can handle those stories tonight. But you know, what, you know what stories I would love for you to share with me tonight? I'd, I'd love for you to go Genesis chapter 38 with me tonight. I'd love for you to tell me the story of Judah and Tamar. Could you just, I'm just going to lay down, could you just speak that over me tonight? Because after what David did, what he needs is to be reminded of God's kindness to his very flawed family in the past because David is in desperate need of God's kindness to meet him in his very flawed present David needs reminded that his family excuse me it's not David's family David needs reminded that our family us that we exist in God's mercy and kindness in his said his passionate covenant loyalty he clings to us through genesis 38 through bathsheba and all of that and through the book of ruth he clings to us through all of it he is causal for our kindness he perseveres through the storms with us and so in those moments what David does is he mourns he laments what he has done just as I hope Judah lamented and mourned what he did in Genesis chapter 38 so David mourns he laments 
We see that in the book of Psalms. He's got many uh, songs of lament that come from his experience with Bathsheba and his failure. And from there, he repents. God, I, I am sorry. I, I am choosing to come back and to walk with you. And then he receives mercy. And then from there, he walks in humility before God and before people. And in his heart, thankfulness erupts for his Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thank you, Father, for your kindness on my family and on me and for generations to come. How did David know to mourn and lament and to repent and to receive mercy and to walk in humility and thankfulness? How did he know to do that? Because that's what our family does. Because that's who our father is. That's how he treats our family. So, family, here's what we do. We commit marital relationships, kids, brothers and sisters, grandkids, whatever way the relationship deems appropriate, we cling to one another because that's what our family does. What else do we do? Well, family, we are the ones who are causal for kindness. We don't just respond to the willy-nilly circumstances of life. No, we step in because we're the ones, our family, we're the ones who create good out of thin air sometimes. That's what our Father helps us to do. What else are we family? Well, we're, we're wisdom. Not just wisdom esoterically and theoretically. No, we're wisdom in the flesh. It's what we are. It's who we are. That's our family identity. Who else are we family? We're the, we're the ones who persevere through storms. We don't tap out. We don't give up. It's not, it's not what we do in our family. There is no deterring us from what is right and good. And family, we also know that we will fall straight smack on our faces. It's in our family history. We see it all the way through. It will be our experience as well. We will, we will let people down. If you've got kids, your kids will be in counseling someday because of your parenting. Hopefully not a ton of counseling, but like on, on some level, right? You're not, you're not nailing it in every way, shape, and form. They're going to need some help later because of what we did today. It's the truth. We're going like, to have spouses that feel hurt and neglected. It's going to happen. And the list goes on of the ways that we fall and we fail. But remember what our family does when those things hit. We mourn and we lament these truths. We receive mercy from our Father and from one another. We walk in humility and we continue to grow in thankfulness for His kindness and the kindness that we receive from one another because that's what our family does.
that is our family culture. Band, come on back up. We're going to sing a couple of more songs, and I would just love to pray over our family these things. They are true. It is who we are. Um, and may, yeah, God, may God cause us uh, to live in all of the good, in all of the difficult that is our family experience. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you are our Father who is in heaven. And that, Father, um, it's not as if you are distant, but you are near. You have sent your very presence to dwell with us. When we talk to you, it's not as if a radio signal needs to go out into the heavens somewhere, but your spirit abides in us and with us. And, Father, we are thankful for the family that you have adopted us into that you have grafted us into because we are in Jesus. God, you have made us a part of the most exciting and adventurous and just the best family ever. Father, we also recognize that our family is far from perfect as we are. And so, God, we are thankful for your kindness that never ends, for your mercy that is new every morning, that you continue to separate our sin from us as far as the east is from the west, simply because we are in Jesus. We are in the family. Thank you for the goodness that you have shown to our family and for the confidence that you will continue to show it to us. Father, I pray that you would awaken our minds and our hearts to the things that are true about us in Jesus so that we can actually really truly walk as your really and truly family. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and now we sing.